You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. The last time I think I was here, I had a children's address about a barber's pole. I'm sorry to sort of introduce the thing in this way again, but I'm going to introduce the sermon by saying that I used to get my hair cut with a man in the town we lived in who had a unique ability to do something. He had the ability to talk without opening his mouth. Well, obviously he did open his mouth, but not very much. And there might be older people who will recall that we used to have a politician in our country, uh, not one that you've probably been voting for, Jerry Fitt, uh, who had the ability to talk without opening his mouth. Um, But however, my barber uh, would mutter into my deaf ear, which I find most frustrating because I couldn't hear him. And I, I had to change. I didn't want to. I didn't want to think I was being rude because I couldn't enter into conversation with him simply because I couldn't quite hear what he was in fact saying. Now, it's an idea of conversation that I want to uh, lead into, into a sermon because sadly the day and age in which we live Many people don't have much conversation with each other. We don't visit in people's homes, and uh, and we might send a text or an email or something like that, but there's no substitute in many ways for conversation. There used to be a TV, uh, a telephone advert, wasn't it? BT, it's good to talk. It's good to talk. We tell our children, for example, don't talk to strangers, and we understand exactly why we do that, and that's good advice. But I have put this rather strange title on the sermon, which is based on the passage in John chapter 4 we read together, uh, just to to get you thinking and to jog your brain a bit. Uh, The title, Talking with a Strange Woman. Because we see in the Bible, as we read through the pages of the Gospels, we see that Jesus was not inhibited in any way, as we can be inhibited uh, in talking with other people. Jesus didn't care about public opinion. Jesus spoke to all kinds of people. He was concerned about the down and out, the people that we were looking at in, in, in the problems in that video. He was concerned with that as much as he was concerned with the, the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, and, 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 and so on and so forth, or Peter and James and John, his, his colleagues, anyone else. And I think one of the problems of today is that we are, we are not happy communicating with people who will not share our interests, our background, our group mentality, our clique, our age, our gender, whatever it happens to be. Now let's take a good look at this conversation that Jesus had with a strange woman. And I've used that phrase, strange woman, because, well, she was an unlikely kind of person in a human point of view. But secondly, I want you to notice something. Her name is not even told. Was she important? Yes, she was. She was as important as Mary Magdalene and Salome and any of the other ladies or men, for that matter, in the Scripture. Uh, Because in actual fact, as we shall see, she became a witness. She became the first Christian missionary to the Samaritan nation. 
And I think it's interesting, her name is not even mentioned. John chapter 4. She was a prominent figure. Let's look at the background details, first of all. Palestine was about 120 miles from south to north. And in Jesus' day, it was divided into three areas, really. You had up in the north, you had Galilee, and down in the south, you had Judea, and in the middle, you had this area known as Samaria. And I rather like the phrase, and it's best in the authorized version. It says about Jesus, it says, Jesus must needs go through Samaria. I think that the, 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 the strength of that has been lost somewhat in our modern translations because the point was Jesus wanted to make the journey from one side to the other. And the, the simplest or the quickest way, not the simplest way, the quickest way to go was to go straight up uh, north. Must needs go through Samaria. Otherwise, the journey that avoided Samaria, which wasn't a very popular place for the Jews to be, would have taken twice as long if it crossed the Jordan River and away up the other side, and that journey on foot would have been much more difficult in one sense. But it's important to notice that even though Jesus knew, and the disciples knew, that they wouldn't be particularly welcome in Samaria, Jesus did not avoid issues. Now, there's something to consider here. Today, and especially in churches, all over the place, there are people who refuse to grasp nettles. And we spend our lives avoiding things we're going to do, we should be doing because they're difficult. I know a minister, and I know, I know several of them, and when they've got difficult issues to deal with, they don't deal with them. They push them under the carpet. But you know and I know that if you push them under the carpet, they don't go away. They simply become a lump in the carpet that people trip over. Now, it would have been easier in one sense, albeit longer, but it would have been easier not to have this possible confrontation that could have taken place for Jesus and his disciples to have avoided Samaria and to go up another way. And I think it's important to note, Jesus did not avoid issues. And maybe there's a lesson for all of us, because sometimes when we are faced with difficult things in life, difficult decisions to make in churches, difficult things as we work out our faith in our community. It is easier to say nothing. It's easier to do nothing. It is easier to avoid. Jesus did not avoid issues. Well, he came to the fork in the road, which has to the well at the fork in the road at a place called Sychar. Maybe some of you have been there. I've been there in a Holy Land tour many, many years ago. And it was bought by Jacob and bequeathed by, to Joseph uh, in his will. And you can read about that in Genesis 33, verses 18 and 19. It was a very deep well. We used to have a well in one of our mansions. It wasn't quite as deep as that one. But this was a hundred-foot well. And tired as Jesus was from the journey, he sat down at the well for a rest. And he was thirsty, and he asked for a drink. Now, you may say there's nothing particularly unusual about that. Well, that's where you're wrong. The disciples had gone away into the city, were told to buy food, John tells us. 
But now even that was strange because they had gone into a place where they would not be welcome. And yet, yet they went. They were sent in to buy food. And then, why would this strange woman come out of the town a half a mile or more to get water? Why wouldn't she use the water supply in the village? Maybe it was because of her lifestyle and maybe what people would say. But however, we don't know, a conversation took place at the well between Jesus and the the woman of Samaria. William Barclay um, says that this account in John chapter 4 is the briefest record of what must have been a long conversation. And only the salient points are recorded by John. To use an analogy, it is like the minutes of a church committee meeting. You know what a church committee meeting is like? There's a lot of talk and a lot of nonsense. And the secretary has to make some sense of it. What does he write down in the minute book? After much discussion, it was agreed that, dot, 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 dot. After much discussion. Well, I think what Barty is trying to say here is this is only the salient points of what might have been a conversation that lasted for a long time. Obviously, we're not sure about that. Now, to understand the, the story, it's important to be aware of the fact that the Jews and the Samaritans were not on speaking terms. There was a feud, a serious feud, and it was a feud that probably none of them at that time would remember. It went back generations. Uh, it went back various generations. And you know, it's a bit like that in the country sometimes. I know what's like around here. Old grapes run deep. My grandfather had a row with your grandfather over a March ditch. And I don't trust you. It was that kind of thing. It was a row away in the past over where worship should have taken place, as it so happened. And therefore, as a result of that, the Jews and the Samaritans weren't on speaking terms. That was the first thing. Secondly, women in those days generally veiled their faces. And they were forbidden to speak to men outside their family, a bit like what happens in certain parts uh, of the world today. Uh, And then, of course, this woman would have been the talk of the whole area. And she would have been the talk of the town because of her marital infidelity. People wouldn't bat an eyelid today. Very different world we're living in. But that would have been different 2,000 years ago. So what has happened? You see that Jesus broke down all kinds of religious and social barriers at this incident and the conversation at Sychar in Samaria at the well. You know, one of the lessons we can draw out of this passage, and I hope you'll find there are many lessons, but one of the lessons is this. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. Sadly, sometimes we expect God to act on our terms, to give us what we want or what we think is right. This story, this account of Jesus in conversation with a strange woman, strange place in a strange country, shows us that God's purposes are worked out in ways that sometimes defy our ideas at all. Someone said to me when I started into ministry, God may work through you, but God may work in spite of you. And that's a hard lesson to learn, but it's true. 
And God works out his purpose in ways that seemed odd. It seemed the strangest person for Jesus to have a conversation with to become a missionary. But then when you stop to think of it, did Saul of Tarsus not seem the strangest person to be a pioneer, evangelist, church planter, gospel writer? when he was dragging the believers off and putting them into prison. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. What does this conversation tell us about Jesus? Well, the slide will show us. It shows us his his humanity. John's gospel is different, you probably know, from the others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John normally stresses the deity of Christ. But the other synoptic gospel writers, they would concentrate on showing us the human side of Jesus. Because they were both sides, the human side, the the, the divine side. But here in this account, and in this account only, John, only John records this. He records that Jesus was weary from the journey. The human side. A saviour. We worship a saviour who is not free from tiredness, or physical exhaustion, or the struggles of humanity. And John shows us that Jesus was tired, and yet he had to go on, but he sat down, he was thirsty, and he sat down at the well that day. What have I had to say to you? Well, the next time you feel tired, exhausted, maybe weary in your work, maybe feeling frustrated. We're talking about the children but not giving up. Maybe you're involved in some ministry in, in, in the church or in the congregation here and you, you, you feel at the end of the road, I've done it long enough. Bear in mind that God understands. You're in good company. Jesus identifies. We don't need, shouldn't give up, but Jesus identifies with us in our simple, ordinary humanity. And here's another point we see about Jesus in this story. We see his sympathy sympathy. Jesus did not despise this woman of dubious character and moral blemish. No, he didn't. The Jewish leaders would have done that. He didn't ignore her. He didn't suggest, you're not one of us. We don't like you. You're not our type. And as the conversation unfolded between them, it seemed that she opened up for a time and she realized that Jesus, she found, was not a critic. In fact, he wanted to be a friend. And you you read that again and again in the Gospels. We read about Jesus, the characteristic of Jesus' sympathy coming out. There's a phrase that is used sometimes, Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. We see Jesus' sympathy coming out again and again. And we see it coming out as they had this conversation with this woman who the religious leaders would have simply wiped off the face of the earth and ignored. Now, what application can we take from that today? Surely that's an encouragement to us to know that Jesus Christ, our Savior, will not turn us away whenever we come to him in faith, whenever we're sincere in our prayer, whenever we're coming asking him, not only for salvation, yes, that too, but as we as we struggle with even the issues of living the Christian life. I hope you haven't thrown out completely paraphrases in this church. Great of some lovely modern singing, but listen to this, and here's a good one. Come 
Let us to the Lord our God with contrite hearts return. Our God is gracious, nor will leave the desolate to mourn. Paraphrase 30. Our God is gracious, nor will leave the desolate to mourn. And I take hope from that. Because no matter, like the woman of Samaria, no matter how far we have wandered from God, no matter how far we have slipped off the moral path of life, no matter how many commandments we have broken, if there is on our part a desire to return and to make amends, there is a God who is sympathetic to our need and hear our prayer. Our God is gracious, nor will leave the desolate to mourn. So take heart. Now you could also say something else in the story about Jesus talking to the strange woman. He breaks down barriers. Breaks down barriers. What were the barriers? Jew, Samaritan, real problem. A barrier of race. Men and women, social barriers that were put up at that particular time. What about barriers of class or, or creed or intellect or gender or, or, or color? Today, many people erect, sadly, different kinds of barriers. And sometimes they put a barrier between themselves and God. The point, of course, is at the foot of the cross, those barriers are of no relevance at all. Death is a great leveler, rich and poor, Jew and Samaritan, black and white, Protestant, Catholic. They're, they're, those barriers, and they shouldn't be barriers, but they're of, they're of no significance at all. There are questions we won't be asked. What group do we belong to? The only issue, what have we done with Jesus? What have we done with Jesus? You know, the, the, we don't need to go into the issue, but the barrier that was suggested uh, here was where the Jews and the Samaritans should worship and where the temple should be. Should it have been built in Jerusalem? Should it have been in Mount Gerizim? Barriers. But the point is that people still, in some ways, put up barriers. And the greater point is that Jesus breaks down barriers. People put up barriers to keep God at a distance. I'm not good enough. I think I told you about a lady once she said to me, I was challenging her to come to church, and she said, oh, she said, I haven't got good enough clothes to go to that church. It was silly. But it was the barrier she was putting up. She wanted rid of me, obviously, uh, but that was the barrier she was putting up. You can identify the barriers that people... We all, I suppose, truth be told, put up barriers. But people put up barriers to keep God at a distance. And you know, the essence of true faith is to let Jesus break down those barriers and like the woman of Samaria, to come face to face with him and receive forgiveness. What barriers do you put up to keep Jesus at a distance? Only you know the answer to that question. But the barrier of sin unforgiven and unconfessed will indeed keep us out of heaven itself. Well, another point in the story of <clears throat> Jesus in conversation with a strange woman, he touched a pulse. He touched a pulse. Go, call your husband, and come back. Very graciously, <clears throat> he drew the woman to confess her infidelity, and in a gracious and in an uncritical way, 
he dealt with her real need in a language she could understand. He didn't use theological phrases that were totally irrelevant to her at that time, which is what sometimes people do. Sometimes people do. He drew her in languages that she could understand. She came to the well for water. Very simple. She was thirsty. And Jesus pointed out to her that there are thirsts in life that a drink of water will not satisfy. There's a peace that the world cannot give or that riches cannot solve. I'm going to put up a quotation on the screen, and I don't know who made it, but I thought it was good. It says, The heart of a person will always be empty until it is filled with the one person for whom it was created. In other words, there are thirsts that many of the material things, the drink of water, will not satisfy. The heart of a person will always be empty until it is filled with the one person for whom it was created. There was no heart satisfaction in the world unless we believe in Jesus Christ and seek his forgiveness and accept his salvation as offered in the gospel. I don't know if any of you have read the writings of Bishop Ryle of Liverpool. It's very, very good. And he writes some very helpful, uh, very helpful commentaries and so on, the Gospels. And he points out that the absolute necessity of conviction of sin before a soul can be converted fully to God. And he talks about the absolute uselessness of any religion which has only got formality. Now, uh, this woman of Samaria had formality. She had religious talk. But she lacked faith and she lacked peace. And maybe she's like many church-going people today. It's all too easy to make religion a talking point. You know, you, you, you worship in such a place, but we think something else. But there's no real repentance and faith. I don't suppose any one of us want to compare ourselves with the woman of Samaria. But... Maybe leaving aside the five marriages, uh, maybe, maybe we're more akin to her than we might think. Maybe lacking faith or, or lacking assurance of faith. You know, we can take hope. And we can take hope from this meeting at the well because you can have the same joy and peace as that woman had uh, whenever she found Jesus. What happened at the end of the story? She came to the well for water. What did she bring with her? probably a water pot. More than likely, it was the most precious thing that she owned in terms of monetary value to carry the water home in. At the end of the story, what happened? Well, we're told of it in verse 28. She forgot all about it. She left the water pot there, the very thing she brought with her. Where was she? She was running back to tell her friends, come and see a man who told me all the things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? I think it's an amazing story. Of Just think about it. Of all the people in the entire area that Jesus used this strange woman whose name we do not know, and he used her to be the first Christian missionary to the Samaritan nation. And surely if that is so, can Christ not use us in some way in our community, wherever we are? And it brings home again, if I may quote William Cooper, God moves in a mysterious way. 
his wonders to perform. Shows us that if we had that relationship with him, who knows what the extent of our witness could be, but it shows that we need the living water. We used to sing a chorus on that story. I'm not going to bore you by singing it. Maybe you know the words of it. Jesus gave her water that wasn't in the well. Jesus gave her water that wasn't in the well. She went away singing. She came back bringing others for the water that wasn't in the well. A conversation with a strange woman leading to a conversation about a gracious Savior. Let us pray. Thank you.